count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of... Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. You have found Daniel Donato's Lost Highway. That lost highway. Yes. Howdy, everyone. I just want to let you know something. It is August. <laughs> Isn't that fucking crazy? It's August already. This has been the fastest August I've had in 25 spins on this earth. That's insane. That's literally insane. Think about it like this, too. I find myself right now being at the point where I'm going to I'm going to put the seat back on the chair and realize that we're going to be in this mode for a while. And so it made me realize that I think at least 75% of the shit that I'm worrying about on a daily basis, at least 75% does not matter. Doesn't matter at all. Won't matter in 5 years from now. Maybe 25% of it will, and I'm worrying about it for a good reason. Because it has a rightful place in the desire cabinet in my life. I think it really makes sense to organize and take stock of this desire cabinet every now and then. There's this fantastic story I read about Warren Buffett. He was flying somewhere with his pilot. And he turned to his pilot and he says, Hey, surely there's something you want to do with your life than more than just fly me around. And his pilot goes, Yeah. And he goes, Okay, take 25 career goals and write them down. Pilot, presumably while he wasn't flying, writes down the goals. <laughs> 25, and then Warren goes, perfect. Do some soul searching for me. Do some soul searching, okay? What are the five goals that you really want to achieve? Okay, pilot does the five goals. And he goes, okay, pilot, look at these other 20 goals. Call these the avoided all cost goals. Do not worry about those. Get rid of those for the time being. Get rid of those. I think I think in regards to our to our consciousness. In our mode of operation, our minds are very much like a desktop. And the less clutter that you have, the better. And you got to organize what's going on in there. Take stock of your desires. I've been losing followers on social media for about a month every day. Very strange. I have a software that I that I, uh, that I follow, that, that I use, that uh, shows me like other people's followers that, that I want to watch or other businesses, etc. And um, you see it across like different genres of content as well. Certain people are just losing followers all the time for no good reason. And I realize, one, doesn't matter. Get over it. Two, as long as I'm seated in my intention of bringing positivity to the world and doing what I do best and being the specialized person that I am, I'm justified. And then three, realize that as long as you're operating out of a place of truth and uh, positivity, patience, and persistence, for the consistent and persistent pursuit of your potential, ultimately the truth wins. The truth is the only thing that has the ability to live in the long haul. So as long as you're putting the truth out there as much as possible in the most individualized way that you are you, it will work out. Do not sweat the numbers. One of my biggest heroes, Mr. Albert Lee. One of my biggest heroes heroes i have learned at least 73 of his guitar solos i'm not even kidding i discovered out when i was 14 years old typing country guitar on youtube albert lee comes up you try to go to other search results they say no 
Aubrey Lee is what you want to listen to. It's like, okay, YouTube, I trust you on this. Wow. We talk about, in this interview, how the Music Man signature guitar came about, how playing for Clapton came about, a lot of his career, his love and passion for music, and how we talk about how passion really is an asset that is curated and developed and appreciated over time, and how it's not a short firework that simply lasts for a year or so. And his deaf cat also makes an appearance. Fantastic podcast with one of my absolute heroes, Mr. Albert Lee. Hey, so how, how are you? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> how is anybody these days? You know, it's a... <laughs> it's, madness. it's literally madness. Have you guys left the house at all? Uh, oh, well, we're, we're, yeah, we've been here in the house for a couple of months now. I got okay. back from, from Europe uh, in um, early April. Oh, well, you were in Europe in April. Yeah, well, I, um, I, you don't know this, but I, no, I, I was in the middle of a tour. I was in Germany, and then they were like pulling gigs out here, there, and everywhere. And we thought we better cut our losses and go home. So we dro- we drove back to to London, and uh, my my daughter, my oldest daughter, was really sick, and she's since passed away. So I I I um. I stayed around to her funeral, which is April 6th, and uh, flew home on the 9th. So I've been here ever since. Oh, my God. That is a, so, oh, my God. So a cataclysmic amount of change is happening. In your oh, life. yeah, a lot, a lot, you know, a <laughs> lot. And coming home here and not, not doing anything. I haven't felt like, I've hardly played in, in six weeks, two months now. My fingers have gotten soft, and <laughs> oh no! But uh, I've got something coming up in a in a couple of weeks, so I'll uh, I'll I'll pull out a guitar. <laughs> what do you have coming up? Oh, we're doing the um, the baked potato. I don't know if you, it's, it's a club in LA. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love doing that. a video a video from there, live stream from there. <sighs> That's amazing. Did your daughter pass away from COVID? No, she didn't. No, no. She had a stroke and a, a aneurysm, and then they discovered she had a uh, a growth, mm. and, they, and she wasn't in a wasn't in a fit state to operate. So, uh, you know, it took took a while. She wasn't she wasn't taking any hardly any sustenance for weeks, and I don't know how she survived, but uh, she eventually succumbed and. She's better off now, you know. It was, uh, it was, you know, the prognosis wasn't good. What is it? What is it that you do when you encounter something that challenging in your life? You just—that is an ultimate challenge that no parent should ever have to face. That is just. Oh, awful. I know. Well, it, of course, yeah. I mean, I've been long aware of that. So, something we don't dream is going to happen. And of course, everybody's been saying that to me. Oh, that shouldn't happen. Yeah, I said, I know, but it did. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. That's absolutely insane. Where were you guys in Germany when you were driving back home? Uh, well, actually, we'd, uh, we drove all the way to Switzerland. We were in southern Germany. We drove to Switzerland and we pulled in to, uh, into the club to unload and they, and they came out and greeted us and said sorry to tell you but they you know the local uh government of just closed us down so uh and we, we had a 
we had a few other gigs. There was a three-day gig in, in southern Germany, which uh, we could have hung around for, but we, we, we weren't sure if that was going to get pulled, you know? Of course. So we, we, be, we better go home, you know? So we went back to London. Oh, my God. Are you guys in a bus? Are you in a sprinter? Are you in the Albert Lee van, the Albert Lee vehicle when you guys are over in Europe? What is your mode oh, of transportation? Oh, we, 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 oh, we rent, rent a bus for that, you know. Back to the old days, we were traveling with our gear, you know. <laughs> it's, not, it's not uncomfortable, you know. I, of course. I was reminded the other day of a video that I had seen. Um, I think you were doing the old gray whistle test with Amy Lou. Oh, and, right. Yeah. And yeah. you guys were in Europe at that time. You've always, that's been your, that's been your dojo operation has been Europe. What is the climate change? Not literally, not literally weather, but how has uh, touring Europe changed over the years? Because I think that was from the seventies, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, well, that was, um, I mean, she was, she was very popular then, you know, so we were doing larger theaters, you know, and uh, some clubs, but l larger theatres. So that, that um, you know, where we were travelling on a big bus around England, so it was, it's, it was comfortable. But, uh, yeah, the days of uh, travelling on a bus like I did with the Everly Brothers for 26 years, you know, I don't think it, that'll come back, <laughs> you know, for, mm -hmm. for us anyway. You know, hiring a bus and a driver and then having a gear on, on another uh, truck, you know, is an expensive way to tour. So uh, uh, I'm, you know, currently not not in that position. You know, my, my English gigs go well, you know, although I'm a little apprehensive to see what's going to happen in September when I go back there. Okay, so you do have gigs booked that you're... Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, we've got a tour booked in September and part of October, and uh, that you know we're already booking gigs for next February or March yeah. over there. You know? So uh, yeah, but thankfully I can I can survive for a while, but <laughs> not forever. <laughs> well, even also mentally too. Like, do you? Do you still do you still love and do you still prosper when when you play on stage? Is that still and does that change from Europe to to America? Are there certain places you like playing more? Well, I like the English uh, the European tours because the gigs are closer together. They're so you know, close. <laughs> yes. Well, they are. You know. Well, you know, hundred miles, two hundred miles. Very. But here, you know, you, if you want to do a a decent club. You know, you might have to drive three or four hundred miles. I think but, it's too much. Yeah, we we, we work. Uh, you know, I've got two bands. I've got a I've got an LA band and uh, and uh, a London band. So uh, yeah, when we uh, do the do the tours here, um, we actually uh, do more gigs on the East Coast because the gigs are closer together. You know, of course. Of course. Yeah. Were you touring? Were you touring internationally when you were with the Everly Brothers, or was the international oh, yeah. touring? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we do a U.S. tour every year, and every other year, uh, we'd also do uh, uh, go to England and maybe 
Germany and Holland, but mostly mostly the UK. Is there a certain part of Germany that you like more than other parts? I was just there back in October, and Berlin was like by far my favorite place to have been in all. Oh yeah, I I don't get to play there very often because it's a a little bit. It's a uh, a longer drive from a lot of the other places we do, you know. So, because uh, it's in the east, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I love I love going going to Berlin. You know, it's it's got a character all of its own. You know, and uh, just uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, we go to southern Germany quite a bit. We have got some a good following there. Mm-hmm. Southern Germany is really fantastic. Absolutely, we uh, did. Uh, so we started in the south, went to the east, and then we made our way up to the Netherlands, um, Amsterdam and Alkmaar, um, et cetera. We were over there with Driving and Crying. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Uh, Laura M- Yometz on guitar uh, from Estonia, phenomenal guitar player, was playing with Sturgill Simpson for a while. And it's funny to see the drastic change in culture, even just from the Netherlands all the way to Germany. I don't know if you experienced that in your own shows or not. Oh, yeah. You just go across the border and everything changes. <laughs> oh, it's wild. Yeah, the houses and the road signs and, yeah. <laughs> the speed limits or the lack thereof. Yeah, no, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy it there. Are you Look, missing the road or are you looking for, are you enjoying really honestly despite the 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 on the circumstances are you are are you finding any solitude in, in being home well yeah i like to be home and uh you know our, our house is house is a, a work in progress you know mm-hmm. uh, my wife and i are hoarders you know so i've got just stacks of guitars everywhere and books and albums and oh what kind of books do you have right, uh, that you're reading right now oh uh got, I, I like technical books and biographies, you know, but uh, my wife is the big book book reader, you know. Yeah. We've got stacks of them everywhere. What about that? Is she not, she doesn't, she won't do a Kindle. The Kindle's a no-go. Oh, I um, no, 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 she won't. No, she, she likes to have something to get her hands on. She loves the books. And I do too. I do too. I, I like the printed page. <laughs> the printed page and the uh, vinyl. Are you? Are you? Are you, do you still like to do the record thing? And, and, and well, I, yeah, I've I've had a lot of vinyl f- over the years, you know, and I I still play them occasionally, and uh, yeah, but mostly CDs. You know, I just inherited a really high end stereo system, so I enjoyed setting that up and. Uh, just, uh, it's really loud too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love loud is great. Yeah, well, we're, you know, we're in a we're in a private house, you know. So uh, I guess if I crank it up, the neighbours can hear it. But uh, when I when I plug the guitar in, I, you know, some of the neighbours, I, I I see them and it's oh yeah, when are you going to play the guitar again? We we always look forward to listening to you. <laughs> oh, you know, it's so nice. Yeah, I'll plug a guitar in just to make sure things are working and whatever, you know. And uh, I guess they they can hear it because it's pretty quiet here. You know, we're in, we're in uh, like in the Santa Monica Mountains, you know, and, and their houses, houses are close, close by, you know. 
That's such a beautiful area. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a gorgeous area. How long have you guys been out there? Well, we bought the house in oh, 83, maybe 82, 83. And in fact, we had our wedding reception uh, in the house in 79 when a, fr- a friend of ours was renting it. It was a brand new house then, you know. And friends were, were renting it. And it, this was, uh, I don't know if you know Jerry Conway. Yeah. He, uh, he played with uh, Fairport and, you know, a lot of folk rock bands in the UK. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was renting the, ba- the house for a while. So uh, he had to, he, he joined Jethro Tull and uh, he moved back to England within about a week or so. And uh, my wife and I <laughs> looked at each other and said, boy, God, how can we get in that house? It's such a great house. You know? <laughs> so we managed to, obviously with Clapton at the time. So I'm a, I, I, I scraped up a deposit and we, we've been here ever since. Oh, so what was the, what was the, what was the scene like with Clapton at that time? That was Clapton at full Godzilla size. Uh, what, yeah, he was, no, he was, um, uh, he hadn't done anything. So I'm trying to rearrange the angle. Yeah, he, uh, he was he was uh, drinking a lot of the time, you know. So it uh, it was uh, it wasn't a great period for him, you know. But of course, it all went a lot better, you know, later in the eighties, you know, after the uh, unplugged record, and you know, and he pulled himself together. Thank goodness, you know. And uh, mm. but you know, when I was with him, he you know he 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 played great. Most nights, but he'd have off nights and be stri- struggling, you know. And it felt I felt really sorry for him, you know. Wow, was he? How was he as a person? Just were you guys? Was it an intimate situation touring? Then was everyone on the same bus? Were you guys flying to gigs? Oh hear- yeah, no, we were. Yeah, we, he 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 wanted uh, people to travel with him. You know, he he didn't want to do the solo artist thing you know so we we were a band you know so that was that was cool yeah oh that's wild was he was he very involved in the musical in, in the process of of you guys coming up with arrangements or was it was it a very oh, yeah. uh, a oh, jam yeah. based no. thing yeah oh no we we were uh you know we we you know we kick our ideas around you know and uh but you know he had to like what was happening you know so uh it's a fascinating thing too for an artist that's that that is that is such of yourself where you've been able to really have this great dichotomy of always being able to serve people who who love what Albert Lee does and, and the things that and the songs that you write and you know like your music and guitar. It's like you very much so have your own world that people can dive into. And myself included, like you're one of my biggest still are, like one of my first heroes on the guitar. And it's like but the fascinating thing also, too, like career-wise, is you've been able to also play in other people's bands. And that, to me, is like what a great way of being able to kind of take your ego and work it like a te- like a Rubik's Cube. Yeah, well, uh, for many years, uh, I, what, uh, that's all I did. I was playing with, uh, with other people. And uh, um, it really turned around for me when I first came to L.A. You know, I was with a band called Head, Hands and Feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we got a big record deal, and 
you know, it was, uh, we did a quite, quite a number of tours uh, opening up for big acts, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, the band kind of fell apart, you know. A couple of us weren't happy with the way things were going, so we, mm. we, uh, we pulled out. And uh, maybe, you know, that, that was before the third album was released. Wow. So, Did he see you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, uh, my wife's asking if, if you can see me. <laughs> I can. Thank yeah. you, Karen. That's so kind. Thank you. Oh, well, I was just thinking the Zoom meetings I do, I don't have the camera active so that I can, they can see me. So I, I didn't know if, if I needed to tweak something. Oh, okay. no. Well, I can see myself on the screen here, so I, I'm assuming you oh. get Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, totally. It is all great. That's why. So you had three albums with that band. Yeah, we did. Yeah, but we, we we folded before the third album was released. And uh, because on like Atlantic, we on Warner. We, was it a big label? Yeah, we were on Atlantic. Armand Ertigan signed us, and I think wow. he was he was a little disappointed that we we'd uh, broken up. You know, just before it was released. <laughs> I bet so. But, so we never toured with that album. You know, unfortunately. <laughs> Would you guys tour with hard product back then? Were you bringing around vinyl, like by the by the box load and, and accounting? No, for no, we no, we didn't carry anything at all back then. No shirts, nothing. No, no. Well, well, you know, we were just the opening band. You know, uh, opening bands now would do that, of course. But this was uh, this was 70, 71, 72. You know, That's wild. So even just to go and record back then, like what a drastically different landscape we're in now. Like just the simple concept of recording guitar for in '72 to 2020 is eons of a difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's hard to believe. It's, it didn't seem that long ago to me, but I think God, now that's 50 years ago. Yeah. Isn't that a scary thing about time? Or maybe you don't find yeah. it scary, but I oh, kind of, I do. I do, yeah, because uh, at 76, I don't have a lot to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, you start to realise when you get, you know, well into your 70s, uh, well, hold on now, you know. Uh, but it's like, do you feel that way in your mind or is it like it's almost as if like your consciousness doesn't age. It's almost just as if like the, the engine that is your body is a thing that ages. Yeah, well, um, I've always been very lucky, you know. I'll, I'll see how lucky I am when I start to uh, get a guitar out again. But, you know, I could go weeks without playing in between tours and I'd pick up where I, where I left off, you know. But, uh, yeah, the fingers are getting a bit sore at the moment, but uh, I'll, I'll pull through that by the time I've got to play, play again. Oh, there is. There's that thing inside of us that riddles us to make it happen. It's a thing that will not let us give up. Yeah, no, it'll be fine. I can feel that they're they're a little better today. That if I just pick it up every day for for a bit, you know, and you know the um uh, the ideas are all there, you know, but it just hurts <laughs> my damn fingers. Oh gosh, so there is like, so it's not as if like the brain itself is a slow or lacking on ideas at all. It's, it's just like the physical execution is a little bit harder. Yeah, 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 it'll come, it'll come. When did you start experiencing that? 
uh, what uh, experience experiencing what that kind of lack of motor functionality. Oh no! Well, uh, I was I was doing fine up until about six weeks ago. Then I stopped playing. <laughs> really? So even so, you're saying like at 76, you didn't feel in regards to the tendons and in, in the way that your left and right hand moves. You really haven't felt the difference in your in that entirety of your career playing. Yeah, well, I think when I uh, I watch um, videos of me in the 60s and 70s and. Uh, I realized that I was I was playing a little differently then, you know. But, how were you uh, playing then? How would you classify, first of all, how freaky is that? Did you ever think that you'd be able to go on a touch screen and, and type in your name and watch yourself from the 70s and 60s? Does that freak you out at all? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, you know, I, I grew up in England and, uh, of course, and... You know, there were no videos to watch of your favorite guitar players. It was a mystery. You know? Yeah. That's the thing about Link Ray. When you hear Link Ray, you're like, who is this man? It's, that mystery is there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, how would you describe your guitar playing at, in the 60s and 70s when you, were, you had far less experience than you do now? Yeah, well, I've always, you know, I swapped around guitars quite a bit in the 60s. But then I, I finally realized that it was the Telecaster that, that I really loved playing. What was it about the Telecaster you loved? Well, uh, I was a big fan of James Burton, of course, and Jimmy Bryant. Oh. And uh, I just loved that twang, you know. I, I used to, you know, I was playing R&B and all kinds of rock and roll. And, but I was buying country records. I was buying Buck Owens records, you know, <laughs> Don Ritz. Don Rich, that is the best sounding country music. Did you know they used to cut, they would go to Capitol and they would cut four songs in three hours. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. That's the way they did it then, yes. Just lightning fast, just in Willie Cantu, Tom Brumley on Steel. Sure. Oh, my God, man, some of those. Yeah. I was just listening to the other day to a Buck Owens record, uh, Roll Out the Red Carpet. Are you are you familiar with that old record? Oh, yeah, I had them all there for, for a while, yeah. My ex-wife's got most of them. <laughs> <laughs> we're still good friends so I, I need she's, she's been complaining about him to to our son oh we've got to get rid of some of this stuff and they say no you can't do that Mom. No, no no don't do that <laughs> so, uh, I'll, I'll uh i'll spend a bit of time at a house and and pick out stuff that I really want, you know, because there are some albums that uh, I've uh, and singles, you know, I've never heard since then. <sighs> so uh, it'd, be, it'd be great to to pick them up and uh, give them a listen again. <laughs> was that a weird? Was that more of an avant-garde scene musically for you to where you were coming from to be digging into country music? that was coming from Nashville and coming from California. Was that culturally, was that, was that a popular thing to be doing or were you kind of a niche? Oh, yeah, it was a, there was a limited, uh, uh, limited audience for it in, in the UK. I was, I was highly surprised actually about 67, 68. I, I gradually learned about this pub circuit where, where there were a number of country bands playing. Right. And I had to go along to see a band one night, and uh, I thought, well, this is pretty good. I like this, you know. 
and I'd, I'd I'd always sit in with them, you know. And then uh, eventually, I was with Chris Farlow at the time. Ah, oh, uh, yeah, R and B guy, and he, mm-hmm. and uh, we, you know, we still do stuff together occasionally. You know, he's still great friends. You know, and uh, so I I, uh, I, th- I, d- I just wanted a, a break from Chris. I thought I wanted to go in a different direction. You know, people at that time. I was kind of an odd man out, you know. I was playing a Telecaster through uh, a couple of uh, four ten basements, oh. and uh, and no, no one, I don't think anybody else had them in England at that time. Were you running any reverb? Uh, I had one of those little uh, Fender reverb units, you know. Yeah. I'd use that occasionally, but it it, it, it made a, a bit of a clatter sometimes. I I stopped yeah. using. It. Yeah. That's some ex-wife's too. I need to I need to find that. <laughs> she got all of it. Sounds like. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so uh, I I felt like the odd man out, you know, because everybody was using, really getting into Les Pauls. Oh. But in fact, my first decent guitar was a Les Paul Custom. What and, year was that one? Uh, it was a '60, and I I got it in '61. I joined this band and they they had the guitar already, you know. I said, hey, come and join the band, you know. We've got a guitar, you don't need a guitar. Because the, the guy kind of discovered me <laughs> playing in a, in a music store. He said, are you in a band? I said, well, kind of in between, you know. So anyway, I joined their, their band and uh, I took over the payments on this Les Paul Custom that I wouldn't have been able to afford at the time. Because I, I just started to, I'd realised then that I, uh, I, the you know American guitars were, they they opened up the floodgates there, and you could buy American guitars. You know, prior to 1960 or 61, you couldn't buy American guitars. You couldn't walk into a music store and find a bunch of them. You know, you might find a second-hand one that a, a U.S. serviceman had sold or, or whatever. Oh, right. You know. Is but, that how you got your first Telecaster? Uh, I got that. It was second-hand in 1963. I think I paid 50 pounds for it, you know. Oh. Uh, it was a, I think it was a 59 because it, 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 it was a little bit beaten up, but it was... Um, I think it was one of the first with a, um, a rosewood fingerboard, you know. Oh, wow. And you were, you were pursuing your own musical identity purely on your own accord. You weren't trying to write hit songs. You weren't trying to learn the guitar parts everyone else was doing. You were pursuing this style of music purely based off your own love for it, it seems. Well, yeah, but I I, di- I did copy solos for you oh. know in the fifties. You know, I was listening to James and list. Uh, one of my big influences was uh, Cliff Gallup with Gene Vincent. Of course, on the old uh, wretch, yeah. And uh, you know, or it was all built around scales, and you know, and uh, it was a, a bit more interesting than than Chuck Berry. You know, just like honking away. <laughs> In one position, you know. Yeah, there is that kind of primal, there's that primal sensation of Chuck Berry, but it quickly, quickly you can get over it and, and, and yeah. one other thing. But, I mean, I, I love what he was doing, you know, but 
it was Cliff Gallup. I just marveled at what I was, I was listening to. I thought I'd never be able to play that. But believe it or not, I got pretty good at copying his solos. He did two albums with Jim Vincent. Mm-hmm. And I, I pretty much learned every, every solo. And uh, it wasn't long before I was able to just uh, build around those solos and make them my own. Mm-hmm. You know, use use the ideas and take them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always done, really. You know, I, I listen to guitar players and I say, well, that's pretty cool, yeah, but I, I'd work it in. But um, rarely would I, nowadays, uh, would I try and copy a solo, you know, from note to note, you know. Is that because you are more crystallized in, in your style or is that because this may be the inspiration and innovation that's happening, that was happening in guitar playing back then isn't as present now? Uh, well, I know there was plenty of innovation going on. So much. Yeah. Every, yeah. Yeah. That was the era for it. It seems yeah. like now there's not as much. It's like, it seems like now the innovation in guitar playing is kind of outside of the normalcy. It's like we have seven string guitar players we have guitar players that can, you know, turn their guitar into MIDI sounding, like um, synth style. But it's yeah. not like, like Grady Martin, like Grady Martin on a like on a Marty Robbins record, or with like, like that is like truly like an innovative. Yeah, song. yeah. Oh, one album that really was a big influence on me was Johnny Burnett and the Rock and Roll Trio. All day long, absolutely. Uh, with those octaves on the E string. Oh yeah, and uh, you know I learned. Uh, not too long ago, that it was actually Grady Martin doing most of that stuff, you know. Yeah. No, I, I, I actually played with Paul Burleson a couple of times, you know, but. Oh, how was that experience? He was out here. Oh, yeah, it's great. He was a great guy, you know. And, uh, uh, but I soon realized that hearing him play, I said, well, no, this, there are two different guitar players on this record. <laughs> oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, <gasps> What I think yeah. I love did, what great thing. Did rock and roll have that edge that like we hear about now? It's like my sister who's like 21, she listens to some music that has edge. And it's like my parents, like, I'm not really sure about that. Was the music the equivalent back in that time? Was that rock and roll? Was that like what Gene Vincent was? Or or was everyone loving that? Because I kind of envisioned I, I obviously was born long after that era had happened, so it seems to me like that was like the edgy kind of modern innovative music to be listening to and be involved with. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think, uh, you know, I started playing in the, in the late 50s, mid to late f- 50s. And, uh, you know, the guys who, who were around then, uh, we listened to all the same stuff, you know. Uh, the first album I bought was The Chirping Crickets, Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Come on. Waylon uh, Jennings was in that band. Uh, well, he, yeah, uh, at, the, at the end he played with uh, with Buddy on that last tour. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was the first album that Eric Clapton bought as wow. well, Chirping Crickets, you know. So we were, a lot of us were influenced by the same stuff, you know. And, of course, Jeff Beck has always been a huge uh, uh, Cliff Gallup fan. Yeah. Even, uh, what he does now is nothing like it, but it's... You know, I love I love Jess playing because it's so unique. You know, 
It, so the, uh, the fascinating thing I was listening to the other day was I was listening to uh, Jimmy Dickens. I was listening to Country Boy. And I never actually drawn the comparison of the titles together. The first Country Boy I had ever heard was, was, your, was your song. Um, but the Jimmy Dickens version from, I think, like, what was it, 1952, something like that? Um, 1956? Uh, was that, like, that was, like, prime Grand Ole Opry, old Nashville-style country music, Brady Yeah, Martin, well, well, I've never heard that. It, it must be a different song because we wrote, we wrote yeah. that song in 1970. <laughs> this song's way different. It's unbelievably yeah. different. But it was a number yeah. one song. It, that's the point. It was a number one song. It was played on yeah. the opera, and it was one of Jimmy's biggest songs. And it's like... Yeah, I think I was, Johnny Cash did, did a song called Country Boy, too. He did Jimmy's version. Yeah. Oh, he did. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, so, I'll, I'll look for that on YouTube. I'll send you something. You would love it. I think Grady Martin's playing guitar on it, and it's so good. Grady's, I think, playing one of those old Bigsby guitars. Like the Paul that's Bigsby. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know he played one of those for a while, yeah. Uh, so when did, when was the, like, that to me was the biggest uh, point of entry, I'm assuming for many Albert Lee fans, is the song Country Boy. What is the story behind that song? How did that song, that song is just simply stuck around forever. That song is uh, It has. I've, I've, I've kept it alive in different situations that I've been in. <laughs> That's a great way to phrase it. Uh, yeah, I, I even played it with Clapton, and he'd, yeah. he'd, go, he'd go and sit sit behind his amp and have a brandy and and a cigarette. And yeah, yeah, that go on, Albert, go on, Albert. Are you serious? Wait, oh. so you're you're playing the song live? Are you guys playing arenas? Playing what? Sorry, Are, were you guys playing arenas on those tours, like ten thousand plus seats? Um, let's see. I think we did it. I think we did it on a UK tour. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you're playing that song. You play that song with Clapton on stage. Clapton says, no, thanks. I'm going to go sit down and have a brandy. (laughs) (laughs) What's that like? Is that, is that like, like, that's such a weird thing to say, like, okay, I'm going to step up here. Because Clapton kind of had that cultural he had that cultural lift of you know, the Clapton is God thing, right? Which is like, of course, a great hyperbole. You never want to deem that kind of power on any individual, which is simply not true. But the cultural um, uh, currency that, that that carries, surely, like, is that does that cross your mind at all when you go to enter your own world and play that song on, on, on the stage that's technically his at the time? Or does it not feel like that at all? Uh, no, it, uh, I thought I... I I thought my position in that band was uh, quite unique, really, because um, a lot of the guitar players he'd had with him over the years mm-hmm. have always tried to duplicate what he was doing, you know. I and uh, and I think uh, what I what I what I did with him was try and compl- you know, complement what he was doing, you know. And uh, but you know, I do. I do uh, I get, he, he was very very gracious. He gave me lots of solos and let me sing one or two songs. And you know, I was doing the vocal uh, vocal backing with him. You know, for for a while. And uh, so yeah, it was a good time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. 
I'm just so fascinated where I come from in the in the states. My family comes from New Jersey, but we moved to Nashville when I was eight. And so I kind of have always had this, like I grew up in the country, grew up in a really small town in Nashville. And but my family is so not southern, they're so not country. And when watching some old footage of you, I see you wearing, you have t-shirts that say country boy on them. You're like wearing what appears to be like Wrangler jeans. And it's like you were legitimately in that lifestyle. I, I just kind of wanted to pick your brain on how did you get into southern music? Like what was it that was inspiring you? And and what was the, like, how did you end up getting into actually playing in some of like the best country groups of all time, having come from the UK? Like that's so far removed. Oh, well, as I said, I was listening to Buck Owens and I loved all that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and clean, clean guitar sounds and, mm. you know, it was... Uh, uh, was there just a scene that developed around it or was it like your own, was it your own artistry that started that scene in the UK? Uh, well, I didn't hear anybody else doing it really until I found that country ba- band playing in 67, 68. And uh, that's when I joined them. And in fact, that was when I really started singing too during that period. So I, what, really, I, you I, didn't start singing just because you like love singing. You started almost because you Well, I, I always thought that I, that I could probably do it you know I've always been a big fan of the Everly Brothers you know so I always uh, loved Don's voice you know and so I just love all that stuff so um, joining that country band gave me the opportunity to, to do that prior to that I'd spent four years sorry yeah unfortunately the phone call's coming through <laughs> oh that's right <laughs> I punched it out. Uh, yeah, so uh, I forget where I was now. Anyway, I was, uh, I you know, it wasn't until 68 that I started to sing in the band. That's you know, wild. Was, there was a lead singer, but I, I do, you know, almost half of the songs too, you know. And uh, um, that, that was a good experience. It, it's taken... A while, really, to really get to where I where I would really be proud of my voice. You know, I did like a couple of albums. You know, I did my A and M album and my Polydor album. So that was like hiding out and the self titled, right? Yeah, but um, yeah, my my singing was it wasn't great then. You know, and I I I wasn't experienced enough to know what was going to suit my voice. You know, mm. I I am now, of course. You know, and I think uh, my I think the 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 real turning point came when I um, finally uh, got a band of my own in the in the UK. That was in eighty seven. Uh, a friend, of, yeah, a friend of mine was running a steel guitar festival every year in the UK. And uh, he'd always bring people over, and you know, Buddy Emmons and Curly, or he'd bring all the all the top guys over, you know. And it was great fun, you know. And he called me uh, here in LA one day. He said, "Hey," he said, uh, "I'm going to do the the festival again this year." But he said, "I want to, I want to uh, kind of uh, expand it a bit, you know." And I was thinking about having guitar players. Mm. But, you know, he said, well, do you, "Would you come and do a, a set?" 
And I thought, oh, well, mm, I, I guess I could. <laughs> what, what can I do? He said, oh, well, yeah, you need to. He rattled off a bunch of song, songs that I'd done. And uh, anyway, I did, I did the show and I played for about an hour and, and uh, came off. I thought, boy, that was easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but I, I'd never done it before. You know, I'd always been the sideman, you know. So that uh, was such a success that we decided to keep it going. You know, and I think uh, within a couple of weeks we we went off to uh, Yugoslavia to do it, do it, oh. uh, do it two or three gigs. You know, and then uh, from there on, I, I was uh, t- touring twice a year with them. You know, up up until uh, a couple of years ago when we we decided to call it a day. You know, I, I thought it had run its course and. Uh, the bass player was really sick. He had Parkinson's and he's recently passed away. And we got through a, a bunch of uh, piano players. <laughs> they would leave. And uh, oh. and, uh, and I thought, um, no, it's uh, time to try something new. And I, I was going to give it, give the UK a rest. But then... Uh, oh, wow. Then, then, well, you know, I'd still maybe go over and do a couple of gigs, but I was touring like probably a couple of months, two or three months a year over there. You oh, know? wow. Oh, wow. And uh, so um, anyway, uh, I had the offer of doing doing some more stuff over there and someone suggested, well, I know, but, you know, I've got some young guys here, you know, maybe you'd like to play with them. And so uh, I ended up with a bunch of, bunch of younger players, you know, some eager young guys and... Uh, uh, and it's it's been good, you know. We've done uh, we've uh, we've done, been doing it for a couple of years now, and uh, that's what I'll be doing again in September when I, when I get over there. Yeah. Do you ever think about eagerness versus maturity? Do you ever think about the young guys who are who are willing to drive all the, the hours to the gig, but they might rush, like literally on the songs? Do you ever think about that contrast? Because you've had such a great wealth of experience in life to where you've been able to transcend both spectrums. Yeah, no, I think they're, uh, these guys are pretty relaxed, you know. Uh, they, 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 they get it, you know. <laughs> yes. and, uh, and, of course, um, as you probably know, you know, a lot of the younger players uh, come out of college, you know, go to music schools to do all that stuff, you know, so they learn, they uh, learn a lot more than I did, you know, I, <laughs> I taught myself <laughs> and, uh, you know, I still, I still, I never did learn to read, you know, but all these guys read, of course, because that's what's expected of them, you know. So, yeah, right. Uh, so, did, uh, <laughs> did you, did you ever, have you ever collaborated with, Two of the biggest heroes that that inspired me that I got into right when I started discovering your artwork was was uh, Jerry Garcia and Willie Nelson. Uh, have you ever collaborated with either of those artists? Oh, I played on a Willie record, and I, I used to sit in with him quite a bit because uh, Emmy Lou used to open up for him. Oh, and, what uh, years? What years was was that happening? Oh, um, three seventy seven. 76, 77, so I'd sit in, yeah. And uh, in fact, I'd, uh, 
uh, his his sister played piano with him. Morning. And, yeah, and she and she'd always she'd uh, show, always show up late. So, I, <laughs> so I'd get I you know because I, I I started as a piano player, so I you know I. I I used to jump on the piano and play until she showed up, and then I'd go and pick up my guitar. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and uh, w- Willie was happy to have me up there, you know, so it's cool. Uh, did, you, uh, did, did you ever smoke weed with Willie? Uh, I've, no, I'm, I'm not, I've never really smoked much. I, I've done it a couple of times. I, I've never smoked cigarettes, you know, so. Oh, God, no, those are disgusting. No, no. Uh, uh, I just would have thought maybe Willie Nelson had the exception, but I understand that. That's fair. <laughs> That's that, so funny. Did you ever get into Floyd Kramer? You know, like Last Date. Oh, yeah. I, I learned how to play Last Date, yeah. In fact, it's on one of our Hogan's Heroes records, but uh, it's not me playing it. It says Pete Wingfield playing it, you know. And he yep. played it. Of course, he played it really well. Yeah, very extremely well. Yeah, we, we'll throw that music in the podcast. The um the thing that I, that really strikes me in anyone who wants to, who's a big Albert Lee fan, there is the distinction between when there was Albert Lee on the Telecaster and then Albert Lee on the Music Man guitar. So I'm really good friends with Brian Ball, who is the son of Sterling, and you mm-hmm. you of course you and Sterling go back. You guys are you, you're, you know infamous villains together yeah, in the guitar. Yeah, guitar. and well, um, I'll tell you how that started. You know because the, uh, yeah, the whole uh, thing. Ernie had heard. Uh, Country Boy on the radio, you know, mm-hmm. the Air Townsend Feet version. Oh. And uh, and uh, so he and Sterling came along to see us a couple of times, you know. He said, oh, let's go and see this band. <laughs> and uh, so I got, I, that's how I became big friends of the family. I go, I used to drive down, down to Newport Beach and stay there for a while with them, you know, and, uh, you wow. know, they're, they're, they're family now, you know, a long time. The guitar has such a sonic, like a unique tone to it, and it was the first time I had ever heard an out-of-phase guitar that had the same kind of decay and the sound of a banjo. And, like, we're all reminiscent of the dire of the Mark Knopfler and slow hand, second moves and strat tone, but you, you really took that sonic spectrum and it, it kind of goes across the entirety of the guitar and you made your own signature sound out of that dynamic of the instrument. Was it, were you inspired by banjo players? Was it that kind of gave you that that second pickup sound? It's such oh, a unique yeah, I, tone. I love, yeah, yeah. Someone who was a big influence on me for a while actually was a Buck Trent. Is that a cat I hear? Do you guys have a cat? Yeah. How, how many cats do you have? Oh, just one. Oh. She, she's deaf and she makes a lot of noise. Wait, you have a deaf cat? Hmm? What? That's so cool. Can't see her. Let's get her up here. She is. Oh, she's nice. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so get, get up in the morning. She moans and moans, so I give her a cat, a can of can of cat food, and then I make my coffee, and then she's finished that, and she's moaning again for another can. <laughs> are you? Are you? Do you get up early these days? Uh, usually, I get up eight thirty, nine o'clock. Oh, that's not too early. That's nice. That's very nice. Yeah. Or do you stay up late? Just listen. Are you playing guitar? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. Usually around eleven o'clock. We, we, we're watching stuff on Netflix and whatever. 
Have you guys oh, let's, wait, let's watch another episode. And I thought, I think, no, I've got to go to bed. <laughs> Have you watched Tiger King yet? Have you seen Tiger King? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <What'd> you, <laughs> what do you think of that madness? Isn't it insane? Oh, God, yeah. I haven't followed what's been going on lately. But apparently she's taken over his uh, his uh, menagerie there, isn't she? Or, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she yeah. took over. She won. She won really hard. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, that must kill him. Boy. It must kill him. <laughs> yeah. Netflix, the thing I watch, do you guys watch The Office? Have you ever seen that? Is that, is that your kind of comedy style? Uh, no, I haven't watched that a lot. No, but we have been watching uh, uh, the, the space thing that uh, Steve Carell's done, yeah. Space Force. I just started Space yeah. Force. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I love Steve Carell. You can't beat him. Yeah. Um, you see, you were mentioning the concept that I always thought this was true, and I asked Sterling, was Albert inspired by banjo players? And he goes, you're going to have to ask Albert. Yeah. So, well, so- yeah, I... I did love that rolling sound, and that's how I, you know, came up with that kind of uh, thing on Country Boy. And, uh, and of course, I was aware of uh, Jerry Reed. In fact, he came, he came to London, Man. and I, I actually played rhythm guitar to him on a, on a couple of radio broadcasts. What was that like, working with Jerry? Oh, yeah, it was cool, yeah, that, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd sit around his hotel room and he'd play a couple of things for me and show me a couple of his tunings. And so it was, yeah, I mean, it, that guy is crazy. He seemed <laughs> insane. I have an old footage uh, of, of recording of him and he's on, he's definitely on a, on a drug of sort. He's either on cocaine or, or pills. And it's them rehearsing Eastbound and Down for the first time ever. Oh, Really? And it's insane the amount of direction he's giving them. And he really was a producer in that light. Like, yeah. kind of like how Chet Atkins was. Well, obviously Chet had way more yeah. success. But it's funny that you say he was also a wild, crazy guy. Because I guess that reinforces mm-hmm. that whole... Yeah. Of course, he, he'd work with, uh, with Chet, too. Of course, yeah. Did you so, ever... Uh, yeah. No, so... Uh, it's obvious, you know, when I, when we did Country Boy with Head, Hands and Feet, we actually did three versions. Oh, really? Uh, we, 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 uh, we did one on the Les Paul Custom, which wasn't mine. It would belong to the, the other guitar player in the band, A. Smith. Uh, I did a version on my Telecaster. Mm. And, uh, but um, Ray had also bought uh, a Baldwin electric classic, which is what, um, uh, what Jerry would, was playing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I really got into that. I thought, wow, yeah, I, re- I love the sound of this, you know. <laughs> so I actually, d- d- you know, w- once we'd done the three versions, we thought, well, yeah, I, li- I like the gut string version, you know. Yeah, without question. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. When did the, so when you, it's very funny for a guitar player to find like their one guitar and you like instantly like, it seems like at least someone, someone who is coming from my era, that is the guitar that they discover you with is that music man guitar. And it, it's such a legendary shape. And let me show you something that I don't think you've ever seen before. And it's the only one that exists. So what we have here. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
So this is something that Brian had gotten made for me. I'm a big fan of Bob Weir from The Grateful Dead. And so what we did is, um, I figured you'd appreciate this. We took oh. I, a bar that I played at in Nashville is known as Robert's Western World. And it's where they made Showbud steel guitars, um, the pedal steel guitars. And um, it's where Willie Nelson bought Trigger. And so like on a steel guitar, between the neck and the pickup, you have all this area, but not on a regular guitar. So we tried it on a, on a six-string electric guitar, and it sounds ridiculous. And um, this is just, whenever people see this across the world, they go, that's the Albert Lee guitar. And so it's like you've been able to capture a legacy all within one instrument, even when it's not painted. People in Germany, Ohio, uh, Mexico, they all know that this is your guitar. And so, like, what a fascinating thing. Was it intended to be that way when you were designing Guitar with Music Man? Did you know that this was going to be, like, your product moving forward, or did it just kind of happen that way? Well, yeah, I have to say that um, I, I did not design the guitar. I adopted it. Oh, how so? So it, so it was like the – I think it may have, may have been the first year that they showed their silhouettes at the NAMM show first or second second year and uh they also had about three or four guitars with this body and i, I said wow oh, god i love that <laughs> wacky looking guitar i really <laughs> like that you know and uh didn't think any more of it until you know i uh for a long long time i, I was doing a lot of gigs with sterling you know we we had biff baby's all stars oh wow which, uh, you know, which was uh, Jimmy Cox on keyboards and John Ferraro on drums and Sterling on bass. And, uh, and you know, occasionally we'd have Steve Morse if he was around and, and uh, Sterling's brother Sherwood singing and playing guitar. What a great singer he was. And, uh, you know, we'd have people come and go, you know, who, who was, was around, you know, what, um, you know, uh, Luke would play with us and uh, we we even did uh uh we even did a show with uh, Eddie Van Halen that's insane we, yeah we did two we had two gigs we re we rehearsed at SIR i think it was and we played um we played the hard rock in LA and uh also played tra the bar in Trancas which was a happening place there for a little while you know and uh yeah, I mean, it was funny. Uh, you know, I was I was handing over solos to Eddie. He said, "Oh, I can't play this." So I said, "Yes, you can. Just do what you do." You know. So, yeah, and I, of course, it was great. You know what he did. You know. What an innovator! Oh yeah, what a massive innovator! Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Whoa! So it just yeah. kind of happened that way over time. It sounds like it wasn't something that was forced, not something that was like contractual. It just happened. Yeah. Well, well, Sterling had uh, called me one day before a gig. He said, "I've just had a guitar made. You wait till you see it. You're going to love it." You know. That sounds like a ball. Sounds those those balls, man. They they have balls. They'll call you and they'll be like, "You're this to be the best guitar you've ever played in your life." Yeah. It's so funny. So uh, he'd had it made for himself, you know. And uh, oh wow! And uh, anyway, he pulled it out of the case at the gig, and uh, he said, "Okay." And I played it. Oh god, this is great! Okay, it's yours. So, so he gave it to me, and that became my number one guitar. And it was red. It was the red white pickguard. Yeah, the red. Yeah, yeah. No, no tremolo. Yeah, yeah but no uh, 
But um, wow, that's yeah. Amazing. So uh, I, 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 uh, but I was playing a silhouette as well around that time. But I, that became my number one guitar, and I, I used to do a lot more guitar clinics around that time too. Peroni Ball and Sterling was so. Oh, you got this clinic uh, coming up. He said, "Well, you know, uh, please play the." Uh, Silhouette, don't play the Axis. It was called the Axis at the time. That guitar, it wasn't, didn't have my name on it. Mm. It was called the Axis. And so uh, he said, well, don't, don't, don't play the Axis because you know we're not making it, you know. Mm. So it was, I was playing that guitar for eight or ten years maybe. I don't know. What? Yeah. And, uh, and then eventually he said, oh, we're thinking about, um, you know, Doing your guitar. This was after he'd, uh, um, after he'd been working with Eddie, because they they built a a new factory where they could get the production up. You know, because they it was a limited production at the time. Mm. So they they got to, yeah, they they'd been working with Eddie, and uh, he said, "Well, I think we're going to put your guitar in the line." You know, he said. Are you happy with it the way it is? And uh, we were coming up with different ideas and I couldn't make my mind up what I wanted. I, I, I really wanted a, a, a telly back pickup sitting in a, in, a, in a metal plate on it, you know. And they actually made a couple, uh, but they looked a bit weird, you know. But uh, Oh, that's that. That looks, I, just in my mind, that looks really cool. I wish I could see some of those sometimes. Yeah, I've got one. They, they've got one, and they've got one in their archive somewhere. Yeah, and I've, got, I've got, I've got one too. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I still do love the sound of that telly back back pickup. You know, it just got so much meat. There's nothing that, like it. But when uh, when Seymour, when they put my guitar on the market, you know, I I really wanted Seymour to uh, to make the pickups for me. All day. Because you know, he, he, he'd been a, a good friend over the years, you know, like Sterling had. And he was always giving me pickups and giving me this and that. You know, he was a big fan and a friend, you know. And uh, we're still still close, although I don't get to see him very often. But, you know, usually at the NAMM show, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, he, he made that um, uh, back pickup on my guitar it's got like a, a small plate underneath it, which does add a little bit more bite to it. You know, it's not like the heavy brass plate that you, you get with a telly pickup, you know. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still uh, of a mind to, uh, to, to have one made with a, with a telly back pickup. We got to do that. We got to make that happen. At least a limited run. People would buy that up. Yeah. Maybe oh. so. That's so cool. I would love to see that. So that's really great. And your playing style evolved from there. Like it, it changed, at least as a listener, it seems. I, it might be different because you're the man who plays the notes. But it seems like you, you truly like had the unique, unique Albert Lee sound that like hits right in the heart. Yeah. It, I think the Everly Brothers had a lot to do with that because... Uh, really? Uh, I like the, the sound of the three pickups and it, they... You know, I could get some nice sweet sounds on the ballads, you know, which uh, wouldn't mm. be wouldn't have been exactly the same on the telly, but uh, yeah. Um, but you know, I did use the telly uh, with the Everly's for a while. 
but uh, I always felt like oh, oh. <laughs> that's okay. That's all fine. So, uh, <laughs> all right, it's it's nothing. I think it's a scam call. Because they have scam calls these days. You can't trust oh. anyone. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, I, I appreciate it. I won't keep you too long. I really appreciate you hopping on here and, and, and taking the time. Oh, to no, no. Is there anything else you want to ask? Uh, go ahead, you know. Yeah, so the, the thing that I just wanted to know is, like, this is mainly in regards to culture. It's like, there's nothing been, like, I want to talk about the, the pandemic because it's kind of crazy. Like, I'm, I'm wondering, have you ever experienced a recession in touring that – is that's anywhere near the quantitative size where we're at now. Cause it seems like now we're in the great depression of the touring industry. Oh, well, it is. Yeah. Especially for us, you know, as players, um, we're, we're going to be some of the last to go back to work. I think. You know, You've never seen anything like this before. I'm assuming. No. Well, you know, when I was with the Everleys before I put together, let's see what, what, uh, when did the Everleys start? I think there were the first couple of years with the Everleys where they were only working about four or five months a year. And I'd, I'd do odds and ends around town here, you know, but it wasn't until uh, I got together with the guys in England with the, Hed- uh, with the Hogan's Heroes. And then later on I, I joined... Uh, Bill Wyman and his band, and I was with him for about fourteen years. You know, wow. so then, then I, you know, I was, you know, I was doing a couple of months with the Everleys, and uh, you know, a couple of months with uh, with um, uh, with uh, Hogan's Heroes, and 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 also with Bill Wyman. You know, so I was I was pretty busy then, uh, but uh, no, this has come as a bit of a shock, really. <laughs> Because you, you, you've seen race riots, like we're seeing riots happening right now. Oh, um, so, oh, it's very sad to see, you know. And it, you know, people are, are doing honestly, uh, uh, you know, tri- paying tribute to the guy, you know, to to George Floyd, you know. But uh, people are just uh, usurping the, uh, the taking the opportunity to create havoc, you know, which is really sad. Really sad to see. It's really sad to see in the midst of a, of a terrible health pandemic. That's never, no one I've ever spoken to has ever seen anything like this before. So I was just yeah. wanting to see, like, you know, you definitely have seen a lot of cultural change in your time, and you've been able to have the guitar in your hands through most of it, which is like what an amazing opportunity to have in your life. And so I just wanted to kind of take your 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 thoughts on on the current pandemic. And it's like, so it sounds like we're we're kind of even you and I were in the same boat here. We truly don't know what's happening. No, no. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that that this September tour is going to be uh, is is going to be good. You know, I don't know if they're going to be uh, uh, doing the you know uh, uh, the cultural spacing, whatever they call it. Yeah. You know, well, who knows? You know, because I I don't do big theatres, but I do small theatres and large clubs. You know, and uh, it could affect the the number of people that they're going to be allowed to have in. And oh, most definitely will. Yeah, and so it'll it'll cut down on our on our uh, bottom line. Yeah, 
mine, yeah, sadly. Oh, immensely sadly. And it's also the thing, too, where it's like, how's the listener going to be comfortable, like, truly closing their eyes and relaxing when they know, like, this is un- unprecedented, absolutely terrifying. That's, so are, are you mm. planning on coming to Nashville anytime soon? Is there any, any Nashville uh, shows in the book? Yeah, nothing planned, no. You got to do it. You got to figure that out. got to make that yeah. Last time I was there was a, a James Burton show <clears throat> for lots of different artists. Oh. That, have, that you was listened, have you ever listened to the James Burton Ralph Mooney record? Oh, yeah. I, I had that <laughs> when it first came out, yeah. You had it when it first came out? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm so yeah. jealous. Man, yeah. that record, that is like the country guitar. Late 60s, yeah. Oh, that is that that twin reverb with that just the Fender Telecaster going straight in. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. Oh man. Hey, well, I'm glad we could talk music and and and, and uh, it, honestly, you're just such an immense hero of mine. It's just an honor the fact that you said yes to do the podcast. So I'd love to have you on again sometime when the world's in a more stable place. And maybe I'm in LA. We could um, sit down with your with your deaf cat and we could have another podcast conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But until then, thank you again. Stay positive, stay happy, and all, right. all Appreciate that Appreciate it. Stuff. All right, I'll talk to you. Absolutely fantastic time. Thank you guys so much for listening. So, what were we listening to today? We were listening to the 2020 remaster for Dire Wolf. Uh, presently, right now, playing is Tom T. Hall, Fox of the Run, Bluegrass Standard. And then uh, we were listening to Country Boy by Alfred Lee. Uh, fantastic. And also go check out the Jimmy Dickens version when you get the time. But also thank you guys so much for, for listening to the podcast. Please do not forget to subscribe. All things Cosmic Country happen on Instagram. My website through the Cosmic Country Club is free to sign up. Uh, with the first Cosmic Country album dropping on August 7th, we, uh, we have that coming out, A Young Man's Country. It's going to be available everywhere. We're still doing vinyl pre-orders. We are almost at 500. Once we hit 500... We're done. No more. Takes takes lots of order vinyl. Make it all happen. So we're doing 500. <laughs> um, a Patreon page for uh, everyone who wants to listen to daily Cosmic Country songs. I put those out on there. Demos. Stuff I record in the morning. Nice ambient looping stuff. Positive stuff to start your mornings. If you're working out, you're running uh, with your dog. You got a dog on a nice little leash and you want to look at the grass. You want to listen to some music, right? You want to, you want to feel welcomed to start your day. Well, check it out. Greet the Morning Air with Song, Cosmic Country Music Series every day on Patreon. It's a dollar a month. Check it out on TikTok, too. We got Cosmic Country there. Uh, we're about to drop a, a Cosmic Country animated music video for our song, Justice, which just passed 20,000 streams. Thank you guys so much for all that. So all things Cosmic Country all the time. And this is the Cosmic Country Podcast, The Lost Highway. My name is Daniel Donato. Thank you guys so much. Stay positive. Stay cosmic.